Today's teaching, is, teaching text is Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and the stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, his love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel. His love endures forever. He remembered us in our low estate. His love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Michelle. So I want you now to, to try and think back to an early birthday of yours. Maybe, maybe one of the earliest you can remember. Try and think back, you know, what sort of gifts did you receive? And then do you remember writing any thank you notes? Did your parents make you write a thank you note for every gift you received? Even the gifts you didn't like. Do you remember that? Do you have experiences like that? I would always uh, conveniently forget to write thank you notes. And then three months later, you know, my mom would have been saying, did you write it, did you write it, did you write it? Three months later, I'd awkwardly have to write them and send them out to people 
knowing they were too late to be received well, and knowing that I had already forgotten what I got. You know, you can, you can force a child to write thank you notes, but you can't really force them to be grateful, can you? But it might be good to encourage these kind of practices of gratitude for children, you know. Even if they don't feel grateful yet, you're helping them to express how they should feel. But the problem comes when we keep that same understanding about forced gratitude that we had as a kid, as an adult. So it might have worked then, but it's not going to work now. Uh, In her book, Grateful, Diana Butler Bass begins with a story about a piece of mail. She says, I pulled the card from the envelope. Appreciatively fingering its velvety thickness, it was formal and traditional. The sort one rarely sees anymore with a single word embossed on the front, grateful. I opened it and read, thank you for the lovely thank you note. I read it again, she says, just to make sure. It was a thank you note for a thank you note. Now what, she says. Do you send a thank you note for the thank you note you received for sending a thank you note? Was there a rule for this? That's how she ends. And her little story is funny, and it, and it begs that question, is there a rule for this? Are there rules for gratitude? Do we have to say thanks just because something was given? What if I didn't ask for it, or I don't really want it, or have no use for it? What if I'm simply not grateful for it? On the surface, it can seem like the Psalms are full of rules for gratitude. Give thanks to the Lord. It's an imperative. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. You better do it. And sometimes when I'd forget to give a thank you note for something I wasn't really thankful for, I'd get a phone call or a text message uh, a little bit later from the person who gave it. Usually it'd be an extended relative of mine, and they'd ask something like, did you get the gift I gave you? And I'd say, somewhat embarrassed, yes, I did. Um, Thank you so much. And they'd say, oh, I wasn't sure because I never got a thank you note. It's this sort of passive-aggressive enforcement of manners, you know. And if you read some of these lines in the Psalms, you might wonder, is God a passive-aggressive gift-giver wondering when his thank-you note is coming in the mail? Why else would the psalmist so frequently demand us to be thankful to God? Robert Emmons is a professor at the University of California in Davis, and he's also called the world's leading scientific expert on gratitude. What a title. Can you imagine if you weren't thankful, but you had that title? But he writes this, and and this I have um, 
on the screen for you, but I can't get it working on my phone. It's, it's kind of long, but it's interesting. Research on emotion shows that positive emotions wear off quickly. Our emotional systems like newness. They like novelty. They like change. We adapt to positive life circumstances so that before too long, the new car, the new spouse, the new house, they don't feel so new and exciting anymore. But gratitude makes us appreciate the value of something. And when we appreciate the value of something, we extract more benefits from it. We're less likely to take it for granted. In effect, he says, I think gratitude allows us to participate more in life. We notice the positives more, and that magnifies the pleasures you get from life. Instead of adapting to goodness, we celebrate goodness. We spend so much time watching things, movies, computer screens, sports, but with gratitude, we become greater participants in our lives as opposed to spectators. What if God, you know, doesn't actually ask us to be grateful for his own sake, but for ours? What if practicing gratitude is actually a means of paying attention to the presence and goodness of God in our lives? What if, like Emmons says, it allows us to participate more in life? to attentively participate in the abundant life that Christ says is ours in him. So let's turn back to Psalm 136, just right at the beginning. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. You could say it like this. Practice holy gratitude because God contains all goodness truth, and beauty. For he is good. The word for good here is the Hebrew word tov. Tov, T-O-V. Um, the elders are reading a book right now by Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger called A Church Called Tov. And they explore, well, what's this idea of goodness in scripture. And these writers, they show how the word is used in the first chapter of the Bible seven times. Seven, let me remind you, is the biblical number for perfection, for completion, for wholeness. In Genesis 1, it says up there, light is tov. Land and sea are tov. Plants are tov. Day and night are tov. The sea animals and the birds are tov. The land animals are tov. If you're good at counting, we just read six toves. The seventh, which is in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good, very tov. Tov miod, very good, very good. There's a moral rightness, a harmony, a holistic beauty and goodness to God's creation. And that's tov. So the psalmist says, uh, practice holy gratitude, be thankful, give thanks to God, because he himself is tov. 
God contains within himself all the goodness of creation and then some. And from that overflowing tove goodness of God, we're reminded of his love. So the immediate next line is the one we repeat over and over and over again. His love endures forever. There's a lasting permanence to the love of God. The word used for love here is hesed. Excuse me. And it kind of means this. It means long-suffering, never-ending, covenantal, loving kindness. Loving kindness. It's, un- it's an unbreakable bond of love. And I know you didn't come here to hear what, what a bunch of words are <laughs> defined as. These are the only two words. I'm not going to go into every Hebrew word. But while this love of God endures forever... It's this enduring, unbreakable, chesed bond of love. It never ends. But our memory and attention is perhaps not so consistent as God's love. See, the psalmist knows a thing or two about the human experience and how fraught with forgetfulness and distraction it is. Right? If you read the story of Israel... You see how often they forget who they really are. They forget their story. They forget what God is like and what God has told them the good life is actually like. And uh, woe to us if we think we're any different than Israel. Right? We, we forget. We forget. Yeah, but that's the brilliance of this psalm, right? The loving kindness of God is always there, but we're distracted and forgetful people. And so there's this this brilliance, this built-in repetitive participatory nature of the psalm. His love endures forever. His love endures forever, his love endures forever, his love endures forever, his love endures forever, on and on and on and on ad nauseum. His love endures forever. The rhythmic response starts carving a groove in our souls if we let it. Until one day, without thinking of it, when everything seems to be going wrong, You notice yourself uttering under your breath, his love endures forever. And it snaps you back into the truth of God's love. The psalmist wants this to be your mantra. When you've forgotten the story that you're part of, when you're distracted with everything else that seems more time-sensitive, than hearing from God, the psalmist wants you to subconsciously come back to the fundamental bedrock of reality, which is that his love endures forever. The beginning of our psalm shows us that gratitude isn't meant to be some mandatory or perfunctory response to something that God gives but a way to really encounter who God is. 
Give thanks because God is tov, his beautiful goodness. And God is always loving us with chesed, with steadfast loving kindness. Sometimes gratitude can be hard, right? It can feel forced because we don't know what to be thankful for, or, or perhaps everything's actually going wrong as far as we can see. So why would I be grateful? Part of gratitude is training our eyes to see God's goodness when it feels hidden, when it doesn't feel even appropriate to be thankful. And our psalmist does that in two ways, uh, by appealing to nature and narrative. Verses 4 through 9, they speak to the cosmic goodness of God. They proclaim God's loving generosity in creating the natural world. I'm not going to read those verses now for the sake of time. Uh, You can... Turn there in your Bibles if you want. I don't want to belabor these points, but if you're having a hard time noticing God, look to nature. The sun, the moon, the stars, the sea, etc., etc. I'm not saying that sitting on a bench near the lake is automatically going to solve all your spiritual problems. Okay, it's not a panacea that's going to fix everything. But it's not a bad place to start. It's definitely not a bad place to start. Sit there and pay attention. Look at the stillness of the water on a quiet, calm day. Or the rhythm of the waves breaking in on a windy day. Or or feel the nice heat of the sun on a cool day. On and on. You'll find something to say thank you about. Spend a moment in nature, in his creation, and pay attention. You will find something to be grateful for. And where you find gratitude, you will find God. Where you find the gift, you will find the giver. So if God seems hidden, try that. Then verses 10 through 22, they tell Israel's story of deliverance from Egypt into Canaan. So if God seems far or gratitude seems forced, remember your story. I don't know the best way for you to do that. Maybe find an old journal if you've journaled um, or look at a photo album. Nowadays you could go on Facebook or Instagram and scroll backwards and try and remember what's been going on in my life. Uh, Scan your history for the hand of God. Remember the moments where God came through. You are here today, so he has. See how his love has indeed been enduring forever in your story. And see if the word thanks don't begin to more naturally roll off the tip of your tongue. Because if you spend a moment with your narrative, with your story, with your history, and you pay attention, you will find something to be grateful for. And where you find gratitude, you will find God. Where you can discern the gifts, you will find the giver. And some of you might be feeling like, okay, this is decent advice, good advice, nature, narrative, there's alliteration, great. 
but, but Matt, what if my life, you don't get it, Matt, my life is plagued with anxiety and fear. If I go sit on a bench on the beach, you know what comes to my mind, Matt? All the things that are on my to-do list, all the things tomorrow and this next week that are going to cause stress and just the last thing I want to do is go sit and be quiet because I get flooded with anxiety. Where do you might say, oh, sit in creation. Sure, I sit in creation and I just think about all the ways that we're destroying it. Or you might say, yeah, fine, sit with my narrative. You want me to sit with my story? Do you know the things I've done in my past? Do you know the way I've lived my life? If I sit with my narrative, it's just regret, remorse, anger, disappointment. I don't want to sit and spend time there. If that's you, I don't know if that's any of you, but if that's you, I hear you. God hears you. He's patient with you, so please be patient with yourself. But, patiently, lovingly, kindly, but consistently and continually practice gratitude. In recent years, uh, neuroscientists have discovered that fear and gratitude don't exist in the same parts of our brains. Fear resides in the amygdala, that little part, the amygdala, somewhere in there, right? Uh, that's what they call the reptilian part, don't you love that? Or the dinosaur part of our brain. Uh, feelings of gratitude, on the other hand, exist in the neocortex, right? The, the, the sort of front, the bigger part, the, the higher thinking, critical thought part of our brain. And what's wild is that now researchers uh, are coming to believe that gratitude and fear cannot exist at the same time. Gratitude actually processes fear, effectively driving fear out, taming it, uh, giving us the possibility of acting with courage, hope, joy, compassion, all these things that the Spirit invites us into that might feel impossible when we're full of fear. But gratitude actually processes it. It, it, it transforms it. So fear and anxiety from the perspective of brain science have a connection with gratitude. Right? And this is one of those places where brain science and scriptural wisdom line up profoundly. You might know these verses. Let's go to uh, chapter 4 of the letter of Philippians. Beginning in verse 4, St. Paul says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about, uh, meditate on, ruminate on these things, such things. 
Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So I wonder in your anxiety or fear, does it sometimes feel like God is far away? Perhaps he's busy with something or someone else. Or maybe theologically or doctrinally, you know that God is here, but experientially, he might as well be in Australia or Timbuktu. He's not here. It doesn't feel that way anyways. Paul says, practice gratitude and the God of peace will be with you. So notice two things from these verses I just read. First, Paul says to present your anxiety-inducing requests to God. Um, He doesn't say um, ignore them or suppress them, but turn them into prayer. And then Paul lists a bunch of whatevers. Whatever's lovely, whatever's pure, excellent, etc. In other words, look around, and whatever you notice that's good, beautiful, true, pay attention to it. Notice it now, in the present moment. Pay attention to those things. The poet uh, Robert Cording who's also a professor at Holy Cross College, she says, attention is simply a loving look at what is. If you've been around for a few weeks, you've heard that phrase, a loving look at what is. I think we come to know the world not by detaching ourselves from our felt experience, but by inhabiting our bodily experience as richly and wakefully as we can. Attention, or what I called meditation a couple weeks ago, is a loving look at what is. And the same could be said of gratitude. Gratitude is about learning to pay attention. Right? Um, in the novel Gilead, which is an, a, a fantastic novel by Marilyn Robinson, the main character, John Ames, he says, this is an interesting planet. It deserves all the attention you can give it. Gratitude is about paying attention. I mean, we don't want to miss the gifts that are right in front of us, right? Whether it's the beauty and splendor of of God's good creation in nature, or the way God has been writing your story and drawing you into his. We, too, can be like our psalmist. Noticing God in nature and narrative. Practicing gratitude has a lot to do with paying attention. And so it awakens you to the present moment rather than trying to avoid it because it's hard or uncomfortable or negative. Paul, again, this time in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says this, and you've probably heard this. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Really important here. He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. It's not that we need to thank God for suffering or for pain or for injustice. 
The proper response to tragedy is grief, not gratitude. This is why the Psalms teach us to practice lament. This is why we talk about that. To name and acknowledge pain and suffering and sadness as it is. And in so doing, ask God to address it. No, we should not thank God for tragedy or injustice. Can he use it? Absolutely. He knows how to turn graves into gardens. He takes what Satan intends for evil and turns it to good. But that doesn't mean we should be grateful for evil. Paul doesn't say to thank God for all circumstances. But he does say to thank God in all circumstances. He says we can train our eyes to find the generous hand of God in all circumstances. Rather than Paul advising those who deal with anxiety to ignore the present reality or, or pretend it's not as bad as it is, he says to become aware of the present moment, knowing that in all circumstances, God indeed is present in this moment, here and now. You, you got to quote Anne Lamott when you're talking about gratitude, and, and she says this. Gratitude contains a heightened and amazed realization of how much goodness is marbled into our strange and sometimes hard, annoying lives. Gratitude tugs on our sleeves and says, wake up, look around at the kindness that surrounds us, the love we're being shown, the hope that now makes sense. Remember, Paul links together anxiety and thanksgiving in Philippians 4. Despite what we might think, uh, gratitude and grief actually aren't in conflict because both ask you to pay attention to the present moment and name what is, whether it's good or bad. They're not in conflict, gratitude and grief. The problem with anxiety, though, is that it's actually anticipatory grief. It's often not grief over the present moment. It's something we're creating in our heads, imagining how things could go wrong. It takes us out of the moment. It doesn't make us more present. And so the grief counselor, David Kessler, says this. Anticipatory grief is the mind going to the future and imagining the worst. He says to calm yourself, you want to come into the present. Come back here. And this is what he says to do. He says, name five things in the room. If you're feeling this anticipatory grief, this strong anxiety, anxiety, name five things in the room. He says, there's a computer. There's a chair. There's a picture of the dog. There's an old rug. There's a coffee mug. He says, it's that simple. Breathe. Realize that in the present moment, nothing you've anticipated has happened. In this moment, you're okay. Right? Like right now, all of us in this moment, we are okay. I don't know what's going to happen when you leave here. Right now, you are okay. We have food. There's going to be donuts downstairs. <laughs> right? So he says to use your senses and think about what they feel. So now you've noticed five things. Now you might do it and say, okay, 
The podium is hard. My shirt is soft. Um, okay, I can feel the breath coming into my nose. I'm okay. I'm okay. I bring this into gratitude because gratitude is very similar, but it takes it one step farther and thanks God for what we see and feel and hear. So when we pay attention to our present moment, we begin to realize just how close and active God actually is in our lives. Everything becomes a reason for prayer. <clears throat> the penny on the sidewalk actually is a gift from God. We become everyday, ordinary mystics. A mystic, by the way, is just someone who knows experientially what they believe to be true theologically. Don't you want that? So I don't know, are you beginning to see how Paul and the Psalms, they don't demand us to give thanks to God because God is a passive-aggressive gift giver who needs recognition. God's not in heaven wondering when his thank you note is finally going to come. In fact, the imperative to be grateful is meant to help us see that God isn't actually up in heaven. He's right here with us, acting and giving always, even now. Look, as your pastor, I deeply want you to experience the presence of God in your everyday, ordinary life. And alongside the psalmists and Paul, I believe practicing gratitude is a great place to start. For some of you, this might look like a journal. Right? You, might have, you might already have one, a gratitude journal, and whenever you notice something that feels like a gift, you write it down. Um, <clears throat> for a season, Sarah and I had a little container on our dinner table with sticky notes. And you might write something on a sticky note, put it in the container so you can reference it later. I know someone, and this one I really like. Uh, I, I'm not disciplined enough to do it, but uh, he has a binder full of Polaroid pictures of people and things that he's grateful for. So he literally carries around a Polaroid camera, um, probably not all the time, but often, and, you know, he hears a, a funny joke from a friend, and, and they're laughing, and he takes a picture of his friend laughing, puts it in his binder. Uh, beautiful sunset, sunset takes whatever, you know, is meaningful to him. But then he can go back through it when he's feeling like God is absent and say, oh, yeah, that's right. God was there. Oh, that's right. Get creative with how God wired you. The idea, though, whatever it is that will help you have a gratitude practice, the, the, the idea is that you practice it. Commit to it. You and I, we will not automatically wake up one morning and all of a sudden be grateful people. We have to practice to grow. So think of something that, that might be a tangible way you can practice gratitude, if that's something that you desire, if that's the kind of person you desire to be. And the good news is that we're actually going to start practicing right now. So you don't have to wait until you go home. Um, as we close, I'm going to lead us in a time of reflection, a time of prayer, a time 
to practice gratitude. So we'll take a few minutes to do this, and then the band will come back up, and we will continue to worship in song. So right now, I'd encourage you to just make sure that you're sitting comfortably. If you started to slouch during uh, the sermon or, or lose your posture, just kind of think, make sure you're sitting comfortably. You might want to put both feet on the floor and then take a couple deep breaths. And I, I'd encourage you to allow yourself to relax. And if you're comfortable doing so, you could even close your eyes as I lead this time of reflection. So as you sit in silence, focus on God's deep and abiding love for you. We are always in the presence of God. Try to become aware of God's presence in an attentive way. That might mean asking the Holy Spirit to help you recall your past week with love, And to even let you look on all that comes to mind right now with the love of God. You might want to silently pray alongside me. Gracious God, I believe that I'm in your presence and you are loving me. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that at this very moment, with whatever is going on in my life, I'm in your presence and you are loving me without condition, without restriction, without limit. And so I choose your grace to open my mind, my memory, my imagination, my entire self to your love. In the book of James, it says, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So now would you take a moment and begin remembering the small pleasures of the last day. Things like a good night's sleep, a good conversation, The smell of morning coffee or the taste of ice cream, the laugh of a child, these are all gifts from God. Walk through your day yesterday in the presence of God and note its joys and delights. Focus on the day's gifts. Maybe look at the work you did, the work you were able to accomplish, or the people you interacted with. What did you receive from these people? Maybe think about what you gave them and what a gift it is to contribute. Again, pay attention to the small things, the food you ate, the sights you saw, and other seemingly small pleasures. God is in the details.
Now you can slowly uh, open your eyes and we're, we're gonna join together in one more responsive prayer today, this communal prayer of thanks. Um, your parts will be in bold on the screen. They're kind of interspersed throughout the prayer. God of great gifts, for the world as we know it, we give you thanks. The world in all its dearness, its brightest colors, the sound of it, the way it meets us each morning when we open our eyes. For the food you provide, we give thanks. The shape of fruit in our hands, the feel of grain flowing through our fingers, a rich harvest produced by your rain, your sun, your soil. We open ourselves to this bounty. We give thanks for the way you people the world, the particularity of each special person we know and love, the shape of their smiles, the way they tilt their heads, the warmth of their embrace, the quality of their company. We open ourselves to love. We give thanks for all the world in its immense beauty, its staggering strength, its heights and depths, the breadth of it beyond our knowing. And yet you know it. You know us, and you have made yourself known. We thank you for the contours of your love in the form of a son who is bread and wine and water and truth. We are eager to be like him, to be born again in his likeness. Thank you for the possibilities that await us this week, that love can flourish, that hope can blossom, that faith can find a way even in the darkest night. We pray for all who need comfort and peace and help, that you would fill them with your goodness. God of the great wide world and ourselves in this corner of it, make us into people that are open, cratered by the splendor of your creation and filled to the brink with thankfulness. Amen.